what a delight it is to be here and to be with you today. When I left West Virginia to head south on Friday, it was snowing, it was 20 degrees and falling, and I drove into Oxford and the sun was shining and the sky was blue, and I put it on Facebook, not so the people would know where I was at, but so all the people back home would envy where I was at. <laughs> and it worked. But it is a delight to be here today, and thank you for all that you do. I cannot say thank you enough for you allowing me to serve as your missionary for the last 16 years. I have worked across the Appalachian Mountain Range, serving as your missionary in the last four up and down the Mississippi Delta. I'm able to do what I do because you give to the cooperative program and to the Annie Armstrong Easter offering. When I pull up to a gas pump with that 2015 Dodge Ram that you purchased for me, I don't have to go begging to find money because you have given to the cooperative program. When I'm traveling and I stop to eat supper, I don't have to worry about how I'm going to pay for my meal because you give to the cooperative program. But when I'm sitting out with our missionaries and I'm meeting with four couples like I met with on Friday as I came through the mountains of Kentucky, and I pulled in and delivered supplies of baby diapers from Enterprise First Baptist Church into God's Love with a diaper bag as I gave those quilts and children's clothing and other materials to Miss Bessie. I was able to do that because you give. As I drove across 119 and dropped down on the other side of the mountain into Harlan County, Kentucky, and I went into Club 180 and met with Brother Terry and his wife, a club that works with over a hundred youth, helping them not only to discover what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, but I was able to work with them and minister with them because you give. And on the list goes. I could talk about the Freedom Center, Sacks of Love, where I delivered shoes as Judy and her husband, Freddie, worked with over 400 children who go home hungry every weekend out of just a couple of schools that they work with there in Harlan County. So thank you for all that you do. It's because you care and because you give that over these last 16 years we've seen over 95,000 people make professions of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ up and down the Appalachian Mountain Range. So thank you for all that you do. As your missionary, let me see if I can figure out how to work its high technology here. This is not a marking board with an eraser this morning. As your missionary, I cover the areas that are in red there. Now, I work across the states, but basically you can see the area that I cover. I start just north of Montgomery, Alabama, and go all the way up into the Adirondacks in New York. As a matter of fact, this morning got a message from the director of missions who serves over in the Ithaca, Syracuse area, all the way up into Thousand Island area of New York. And Ed said, Bill, I need for you to get in touch with me. But we work in that area serving. And then we work over in the Delta counties along the Mississippi. Uh, as we work there primarily with poverty, starting down in the Gulf and going all the way up into Iowa working. When I became your missionary, you gave me a mandate that basically said 
that you wanted me to mobilize Southern Baptists and their resources to respond to the physical and spiritual needs of persons living in Appalachia, and that same purpose applies today to the Mississippi River Ministry. And I do that by mobilizing Southern Baptists like you. You might ask the question, why do we need to mobilize Southern Baptists to do the work out in the mountains? Well, we need it for four reasons, and those four reasons summarize what I do. Part of it is we want to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we do that, and there's a track that I have down here on the front that helps to explain it, but we do that primarily through training people how to share the gospel and getting the gospel to them on a level where they can understand. About seven years ago, I approached the, at that time I had an advisory board. Alabama had two representatives on that board that oversaw the work that I did in Appalachia, and I approached them because the gospel being shared out in the mountains was inadequate. Many people coming to faith in Christ were not really hearing that salvation was by grace through faith in Christ alone. And as a result of that, it was feeding into that Appalachian theology that says, if I simply believe in Jesus, I'm all right. Lifestyle doesn't have to change. When I go into some of the areas, such as Harlan County, Kentucky, where we have seen over 4,000 professions of faith, during which time church attendance has plummeted, it tells me that we are giving an inadequate message of the gospel. And then we wrestled with another problem. As we begin to go out and to share the good news of Christ, to begin to see people coming to faith in Christ, local churches begin to contact us saying, we don't want these kind of people in our church. Now, when you go out with the gospel in the mountains, you're not reaching nice folk like you. You're reaching people whose lives are scarred with sin. You're reaching meth addicts who are now 23 and toothless. You're reaching young girls who have been having babies since they were 12 years of age. You're reaching young men who have already been in and out of jail a number of times. You're reaching families that are broken where they have his, hers, and their children and they're not married. You're reaching many people that have been scarred by sexual abuse. And so churches begin to say, we don't want them. So we begin to struggle. How are we going to be able to disciple these that we are reaching? And so we put together a track. How can I get to heaven? Built around the wordless book. We worked with Child Evangelism Fellowship to borrow heavily from their concept and then with the EvangiQ people to borrow heavily from them. But we put it together on a fourth grade reading level. That was our goal. And in putting that together and presenting that across the mountains with your cooperative program dollars, you have now purchased about 1.7 million copies of that. It cost you 4.6 cents a copy. And on the back of that track, it gives the person receiving the track an opportunity to enroll in Bible study. 
The Bible study that we had became too large, and so we began to diverse of it and put it out in local churches, and we have maintained only one cycle of that in Cross Lanes, West Virginia, but today we have over a thousand people actively enrolled in Bible study, and we've given away over 5,000 people that have been enrolled in Bible study. But here's what's interesting. This track was designed initially for children. It was designed to give to children to clearly understand the gospel. But John, to our surprise, 78% of those sending the track in are adults. At the North American Mission Board, they got real creative, and they said that that's what's happening. Let's do this adult version. The problem is I've given away over a half a million copies of it but only gotten two back because it says to an adult, though it's the same verbiage, it says to an adult who has trouble reading and writing, that is for adults. I need something simple, and they pick up the children's track. So we no longer print the adult version. We have a few on hand because we do have some centers that prefer that. But you, I just want you to understand, you're involved in missions every time you give your dollars to missions. Let me tell you just one quick story. There's many stories coming off of the track. In the early days of the track, we made it available, and uh, it was only available in Kentucky and West Virginia because the North American Mission Board said, we don't think it really needs to go outside of Appalachia. But God has this weird sense of humor. I don't know if y'all figured that out or not. And I get a letter from Akron, Ohio. lady at that time in the letter wrote and said, to whom it may concern, I am 78 years old, and I know I'm going to die. I've asked everybody I know, how can I get to heaven? But nobody can tell me. A friend of mine in West Virginia mailed me one of your tracks. I read the track. I've given my heart to Jesus. I now know I'm going to heaven. Can you enroll me in your Bible study? I am 78 years old. Of course we can. We've got lessons from preschool to the grave. We've had a 90-year-old man who was Hispanic who came to Christ through the Bible lesson. So we got him. And so we, we mailed her to her first lesson. And this was in the days before the North American Mission Board sat down on me about cost. She completed all 1,183 lessons that we had available. And in the process led over two adults to faith in Christ and that cost us 4.6 cents of cooperative program dollars you see we're involved in missions where it's changing lives the other thing that I do is I'll quickly say I work with coming alongside church planters and working with them in their church plants helping them and getting that church established. We come along, whether it be on the level of using churches like your church to be prayer walking in a community. Uh, we'll go into a place like Corning, New York, and we took in volunteer teams. And for two years, prayer walked every street, boulevard, avenue, alley, roadway, highway, anything inside the city limits of Corning, New York was prayer walked. And we did that for two years. And then we didn't have to go searching for a church planter. But there was a man who called and who said, 
can you help me connect with Corning, New York? You see, I'm a Southern Baptist pastor in Georgia, and I grew up in Corning, New York, and found Christ while I was in college, but I, I can't shake my people these days. Can you help me reconnect? You see, God has a way of raising up his man for his job. Pittsburgh, we prayer walk Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And we had a church that was the mother church of the Pittsburgh Baptist Convention, downtown Pittsburgh, and it was about to go under. I went in and preached one Sunday to a congregation in a sanctuary about two-thirds the size of yours, and a group of folk gathered down front, and they were debating the future of the church. And Jim and Doris Keller went in there as just volunteers, former CFO with DuPont, and just began to prayer walk the streets of Pittsburgh. And he and his wife fasted and prayed for 40 days, prayer walking the streets, every day for six to eight hours, just out prayer walking. Jim's an accountant. If you know anything about accountants, most of those are introverts. My wife is an accountant. She can spend all day with a ledger sheet and a pencil and come home happy. And uh, so, you know, that, 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 that's Jim. So Jim would walk down the street and he would say, Dear God, if there's somebody you want me to witness to, please let them be out on the sidewalk where I can see them. And then he would see somebody standing in their yard and he would walk by and he'd say, God, I'm going to walk to the end of the block if that's who you want me to talk to. May they still be there when I come back. And then he said, I would pray they not be there. And he kept wedding people to Jesus. And then one day a guy called and he said, I'm in Pittsburgh. I come to know Christ while I was in college in the South through collegiate ministries. Went off to seminary, been pastoring, but my dad has taken ill, and it looks like I'm going to have to move home to become the caregiver. Can you tell me, is there a Southern Baptist church in Pittsburgh that I can attend? I said, did you say the word pastor? And today, Ken pastors the Pittsburgh Baptist Temple, and it is one of our church planting centers, and they have planted a number of churches in Pittsburgh. But it started with just a man and a wife praying and fasting for 40 days. We come alongside existing churches that wake up on Sunday morning, and all they see is gray hair, no hair, no kids. And they call us on the phone and they say, can you help us reach our community again? And we come alongside them to help them to be able to reach out and to penetrate the darkness that is around them. So we are involved in missions. And we want to see our world through the eyes of Jesus. We want to see people that are out there through his eyes, people that are hurting, people that are are suffering, people that are struggling, but we must recognize the spiritual darkness of our world before we touch the physical darkness. You realize today that Leighton Ford has put it well that we are now the third largest mission field in the world. Now, Alabama is one of the most church states in America. Do you know that? Be grateful for that. David and I went to Tennessee Temple in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We can tell you of a time when the world's largest Sunday school was in Chattanooga, Tennessee. 
We can tell you of a time when Chattanooga, Tennessee was considered the most churched city in America. But on the very place where he, I, and his wife lived in dorms and went to school, today is the number one crime area in the state of Tennessee and among the top crime areas in the southeast United States. You see, we can take for granted the lostness around us. We must reach this nation with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Without Canada, the United States today is still the third largest mission field in the world. There's China and India and the United States. We are the largest English-speaking mission field in the world. It has been said that 30 years ago, the U.S., United States, would have been considered a major mission field. I work in parts of Appalachia up in New York that are less than 2% evangelical. As a matter of fact, if I take New York State and include in that North New Jersey and draw a circle around it, inside that circle live 29 million people. The state executive director there, Terry Robertson, grew up on Sand Mountain, Alabama. Now, when Terry and I get together, it's not a spiritual conversation up front. We swap moonshine stories. <laughs> you see, Sand Mountain make theirs out of sugar, and I'm from West Virginia, and we made ours out of corn. I'm from, a fellow asked me a while ago this morning if, if I was kin to a Roy Barker here in Alabama, and I said, oh, I'm from West Virginia. Now, West Virginia barkers would say to me, are you from the Casey Fork branch or the White Oak branch? And I will always ask, why? And they say, well, the Casey Fork branch is a bunch of bootleggers. Well, that's who I'm from. <laughs> Y'all have to understand. I, when I went to high school, they taught us how to make moonshine as a part of our science class. <laughs> And because I was the preacher boy, I had to help make the steel and mix the recipe. And I kept that recipe for years just in case I had to go back to tent making. You never know these days. And that is a factual story without any embellishment. <laughs> or a mission field. Inside those 29 million in New York, 27 million of them have never entered into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If I could take New York State to North New Jersey and plant them in China or India or Africa or South America, the International Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention would declare them an unreached people group. And we'll be calling for dollars to go there with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we are engaged in trying to reach the lost. But let me focus on an area that we spend a great deal of our time. Because in reaching the lost in Appalachia, we are also dealing with poverty. When I reach into parts of Appalachia, we no longer call it third world poverty, it's fourth world poverty. There are places on the Mississippi Delta, Louisiana and Arkansas, Mississippi, Tennessee, Kentucky, Missouri, 
that when I go into those communities to work with the people that are serving there as your missionaries on the field or pastors that are trying to reach their communities, we are dealing with extreme poverty. I grew up in poverty, but the poverty we work with today is a poverty that I did not know. It's a different kind of poverty, and so we reach out trying to touch lives, remembering the words of Peter, James, and John to Paul and Barnabas when they went down for the council in Acts chapter 15 after that first missionary journey, and they were preparing to go out again. They were preparing to go out to plant churches and support churches and to share the gospel and those elders in the church said, Brethren, that's good, but you must remember the poor. And Paul said, This I was eager to do. I can't unpack all of that for you this morning except to say that when Paul said, This I was eager to do, Paul said a mouthful because he was from Tarsus. He was a royal blue blood. He grew up with a silver spoon in his mouth. And Barnabas was a man of wealth. And the people in Jerusalem, the leaders said, Peter, James, and John, brothers, we want you to remember as you share the gospel and start churches and go back to support the churches you have started and strengthen them, don't forget the poor. Do you ever wonder why Jesus, when he came, and Luke tells us in Luke chapter Four, verse 18, that Jesus, when he stood up to announce his ministry, he quoted from Isaiah the prophet, and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, Luke 4, 18, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And what did he say on the night of his resurrection to his disciples? As the Father has sent me, so send I you. John 20, 21. You and I are sent to go forth to declare the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we go out today, we're struggling with poverty across this country, the richest nation in the world. You realize we have 46.6 million Americans today that live below the poverty line? 46, 42.6. And another 42.6 that live at the poverty line. Now, I don't know about you, but in my math, that's one out of every three in America. We're struggling with poverty. I work with widows who live off of less than $300 a month. I work with families that weep, not mothers whose lives are scarred with deep sin, but mothers who want to do what is right and fathers who want to do what is right, but there are no jobs for them. And if they move south, they don't have the literacy skills to get a job, and they are trapped. And they weep. I was on the phone yesterday driving with a mother from Beatty, Kentucky, who had called to say, we've heard about the Christmas backpacks that Southern Baptists are doing. And she said, first of all, you need to know I am not a Southern Baptist. I go to the Spirit of the Living God Church. I said, okay. 
Now that don't mean anything to me because that just simply says it's a Pentecostal church. She said, uh, we are non-denominational. I said, okay. She doesn't know that there is no such thing as a non-denominational. You have to have some belief system. And then she said, I've seen what you're doing in other communities. How can I sign up so the kids in my community can get help? And I said, are you asking for yourself or for other kids? And she said, both. She said, I work a full-time job. But she said, on minimum wage, you cannot buy groceries and pay your bills. And I talked to her about how we could connect with Beatty, Kentucky, Beattyville, Kentucky, to go in to do the Christmas backpacks. And we will find a way working with Baptists to do that. But you see, it's, it, when we talk about the poverty, we have to remember that we're dealing with a nation. 17.3 million kids in the richest country in the world go to bed hungry at least one or two nights a week. That's one out of four children across America. I go into parts of Appalachia where I was at, for example, on Friday, whether I'm in Letcher County or Harlan County or up in Owsley County or over in Clay County or down in Powell County or West Virginia and Clay, Webster, Nicholas or McDowell or Wyoming or Mingo or Logan or Boone Counties where 90% of the kids go home to no food in the house. You know, we have a higher percentage of children going hungry in America today than we have in China. I work with over 500,000 children in central Appalachia, over 600,000 up and down the Mississippi Delta, and we're reaching out to try to touch their lives and to make a difference in the life of that child. We work with children that are in extreme poverty. And how are we responding to that? We respond, first of all, with a priority list. We don't just go out and work at random with our sites. As, as I travel across Southern Baptist life, you have enabled me to be able to help a lot of these kids. And last year, over $100,000 was passed through us to just feed hungry kids in Appalachia on the Mississippi Delta. But when you look at the enormity of the size of what's out there, that doesn't even scratch the surface. Sometimes you have to make a decision. Do I send a grant this month of $500 here or here or here, but I've only got $500 and I've got $2,000 in urgent need requests? So we have to prioritize. We, we do that. It's children first. Children cannot help what their parents do. And I realize that many of these parents that we're working with, for example, in McDowell County, West Virginia, or over in Owsley County, Kentucky, I realize that many of these parents that we're working with are into meth and immorality. But that child is standing there shivering. That child is standing there hungry. That child is standing there saying, would someone just feed me 
and we want to tell them about the love of Jesus, and they're saying to us, I don't want to hear about your Jesus until I get rid of this growl inside. David Aker with Kentucky Baptist used to say, they cannot hear about Jesus over the growl of their stomach. And we go in to try to work with them. We work with children. Our second priority, we work with the senior adults, preferably the widows. We give a high priority to that. Then we go in and we work with single moms. Now, somebody will always ask the question, what about single dads? We've never turned a single dad down, and we've only had one that asked for help. And we helped him. He was in Lee County, Virginia. His wife had left him with four kids, and he didn't have any family to help him. And he was struggling, doing the best he could. And we came alongside to help him until he could get over the crisis. But that's the only time we've worked with a single father. Most of the women in the mountains, the men do not get the children. They get the children. And then we work with the working poor. We, there's a lot of folk who just can't make it. If you're a mother and you've got WIC, you know today, if you have family or friends, you know, that are on WIC, WIC, the WIC program, you know that they only get enough to help them about two and a half weeks out of the month now. It's no longer a whole month. And so we come alongside to work with the working poor and single moms in many of those areas. Our goal is to help them and to be able to share the gospel. How do we do this? We do it in a variety of ways. We have teams that come in during the summer who do mission projects, and we have youth groups from churches like yours that will adopt an area, and come in and do backyard Bible clubs and children's camps, and they will come in and come alongside us and do sports camps. We, we love sports camps, soccer, basketball. Uh, if you want to do softball, we have a few places. If you want to do football, it's Pittsburgh only. That's the only place that we, we've been able to get them to do football. Uh, but basketball and soccer are very popular cheerleading camps, we do some music camps up in the mountains, but we, we try to find ways to reach out to touch the lives of children. We work through the weekend backpack programs. We're not the only ones any longer trying to do this. It's much bigger than Southern Baptists are, the need. Initially, when the program started in Harlan County, Kentucky, 16 years ago, Lonnie Riley led the way in one elementary school and then it just kind of took off like wildfire across America. But we very quickly saw that Southern Baptists were not responding quick enough. So we've come alongside and worked with others to help train them. Assembly of God, United Methodists, Episcopalians, Lutherans, Church of God, Church of God of Prophecy, Church of God of Cleveland. The, the goal is that child is hungry and churches adopt an elementary school and come alongside and work. It may be the only place in Appalachia where Southern Baptists and Church of Christ work together and speak together behind closed doors, but uh, we, we even have helped train several Church of Christ in how to be able to do that, and they, they have d taken up the challenge with gratitude. But we work to do programs to reach out, and you say, well, but the schools will not allow you to put any Bible information in those backpacks. And that's true in some schools and others. They beg us to do it. 
But when we run into a school that says you can't uh, share Jesus through your backpacks, that's wonderful. Because we say to them, we want the backpacks to go to the children. That's the priority. Make sure they are fed. And then several times a year, you have a block party at your church. And all you ask them to do is, you know, we're, you just put it there. We're having a block party at the church. If you need transportation, call this number. Wintertime, we're giving away free coats to everybody that comes. Go back to school. We're giving away school supplies. Christmas backpacks, we've got a free meal. Bring your parents, need transportation, call. It's amazing, they show up. Now you're not on school property. You can talk about Jesus all you want to. And you can have a ball doing it. So we go in and work with churches to understand that. We also do school supplies, hygiene packs. Hygiene packs are a big, big item. And this is an older congregation, so I can talk of meaning older. There's no little kids in here. But the, uh, we, we do in these hygiene packs, we, we, we're working, trying to help. Women, you would be shocked to know how many of the women come to us who have never had undergarments. It doesn't seem to bother men, but women. They will come literally when we give away female undergarments they will line up for hours when we put hygiene items for girls in those backpacks or we give them away I've literally seen teenage girls collapse in parking lots weeping because they're getting something that you and I take for granted and it's so simple I've told this story many times, so if you've heard it, please forgive me. But several years ago, the WMU in Georgia called, and they said, we want you to be our missionary for actings and GAs. And They said, we want to feature something this summer for Appalachia. Can you think of something? I had just left Frieda Hare Center in Lookout, Kentucky. And Miss Alice had taken me. You have to know Miss Alice. She stands about this tall. And she had taken me and pulled me down. Now, my wife is four foot 11, normal days, five foot when she's angry. I understand getting down. I got down, looked at Miss Alice, eyeballed, eyeballed. I said, what is on your mind, Miss Alice? And she said, I need you to get some of those churches to give me some panties and bras for these teenage girls. Do you understand me, Bill? I said, I had four sisters, got it down pad. Yes, ma'am. So... In the providence of God, Georgia WMU called and said, is there anything we can do special? I'm the oldest in our family. I had four sisters younger than me, and I am ADD and mischievous. Those are synonymous terms. And because our wires don't always connect, you know. And so I said to Karen Pace, yes, Karen, I just left, and I told her the story, Miss Alice, and I said, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to challenge the GAs and Actines and Georgia Baptist churches to put together hygiene packs for teenage girls and to go out to whatever store they shop in and buy those undergarments that their mothers will not allow them to wear, but they've always wanted to wear. And it worked. They went out and they bought hot pink, neon yellow, lime green, polka dots and stripes. 
they had, I had to wear sunglasses just to carry them into Kentucky, and they were in boxes. But we put together 300 hygiene packs. And I drove into Lookout, Kentucky, and Miss Alice had called the teenage girls. They work with about 1,400 children and teenagers. And she had called them and told them on this day they were having just a girls' party, and I was going to be dropping off the stuff and leaving. And I said, that is right. And I pulled up. Those girls came out to take the boxes off of the truck. And those teenage girls started opening them as soon as they came off of the truck, right there in the parking lot, hot and in August. And I watched as those teenage girls began to pull out of those boxes what the girls in Georgia had packed for them. And they began to literally, their knees buckled, and they began to fall down on that hot asphalt, sobbing and weeping and clutching those packs to their chest. You would have thought that I had delivered gold to them. Something so simple. Hygiene packs, coats. I'm constantly getting calls for coats. I'll stop on my way out of here on Monday in Butler, Georgia, Buford, Georgia, excuse me. I'm picking up a 14-foot trailer to deliver into West Virginia and I will load it down with coats for children. Time doesn't allow me to tell you the stories of what God is doing through just coats. We work with shoes. Yesterday I delivered. One lady just said, I, I know a way to help with this problem. And we're working with a shoe that will adjust to five sizes. And it's made out of leather on top. It's cured treated leather like the leather on a leather shoe and the bottom is this composite rubber uh, missionaries have been using it in Africa and Asia they say that the shoe doesn't even begin to show wear for two years and we're going to take it into Kentucky and I delivered 50 pair on Friday to go into Harlan County as a test project to see how this shoe will work in the mountains of Kentucky we provide disposable diapers, clothing, bedding, and the list just goes on of the things that we do trying to reach out to touch the lives of people in the mountains. Youth groups come, senior adult groups come, families come. We help connect you with a mission center that's out there to do volunteer missions. You come and you come alongside a ministry. We encourage a church like yours to adopt that ministry for three to seven years. And not make one trip a year, but make multiple trips a year to go in there, to get to know the people, to come alongside the people, to work with the people. Or to adopt a ministry like God's Love from a Diaper Bag, which is changing clientele regularly, but to come alongside them, to work with them for an extended period of time where you're going to touch the lives of over 600 women that are being helped every month with baby diapers and baby food, most of whom are single. But you've allowed me to be your missionary and to serve, and I'm so grateful for that. It's because you allowed me to serve that this past fall, I got a call from Keith Decker in Williamsburg, Kentucky. And Keith said to me, Brother Barker, I have a semi-load of potatoes in Massachusetts. 
and they will allow me to have the potatoes for $1,500. That's to pay the driver's fuel costs and what he wants in salary to deliver them here to us, but I don't have $1,500. Let me tell you about our God. I hung up. I'm, God does so many things as I'm traveling. I live and work out of the front seat of a Dodge pickup these days. As I'm traveling down the road, I lay my phone down, and it rings, and I reach over, and I pick it up, and it's a businessman. And here's our conversation. This is Bill Barker with Appalachian Regional Ministry. How can I help you today? Barker, what are you doing, son? I didn't recognize the voice, but I said, I'm out here eating up I-75 at 78 mile an hour. What are you doing? And he said, trying to get you off of my mind. I woke up this morning, you were on my mind. I can't shake it. God has told me there is some reason I need to call you. What is the financial crisis right now? And I said, I need $1,500. Told him why. I got 28 pallets of potatoes on a semi setting up in Massachusetts, and we need them in eastern Kentucky. And he said to me, let the potatoes roll the check will be wired to wherever you tell me within the next 30 minutes. That's our God. And within three days, those potatoes were gone to hungry families. And you, sitting here in Oxford, Alabama, were part of that and didn't even know it. And that youth group that delivered them was there to do another type of mission project, but instead took on the potatoes and got excited because no family getting potatoes. They went door to door, passing them out to needy families, refused to hearing of the gospel of Christ. Potatoes. <laughs> Strange way to open a door to share Jesus, isn't it? but it works. Let me ask before, as I close, do you have any questions that you would like to ask this morning of the work that I do as your missionary. I've only touched, scratched the surface. What I do in Appalachia, I'm going over Mississippi as well. Uh, they're Siamese twins. Um, but any questions that you might have about the work that we do? If you don't, I will tell you a story. Why do we do what we do? Let me just share with you. When you go to McDowell County, West Virginia, I grew up just north of McDowell County, it's a place that's dear to this part of the country because vast amounts of the land and all the coal mines there for many years were owned by the steel companies in Birmingham. And when they pulled out in the 60s, they warned the people, they begged them. I know to be factual because I know the men who were involved and had personal conversations with them. They went to every miner's family in McDowell County, West Virginia, and offered to move them to Birmingham, Alabama, and give them a job and a house to live in. And none of the people would move. They would not leave the mountains. So the steel companies had no choice but to shut down the mines. They were no longer profitable. McDowell County went from 129,000 people to today there's less than 23,000 that live there. And it is poverty like you've never seen poverty. About four years ago, a school administrator called and he said, Mr. Barker, 
I know that Southern Baptists do a lot of things for kids, and he said, I've got 180-something families that uh, come school being out, these kids will go home to no food, no Christmas. He said, can you all do something to help us? So I called some churches in Georgia, North Carolina, and we agreed to do a, a food box, and he gave us the age of the child, the size, and the sex, and we did Christmas for those children. And on a given Saturday, they all showed up at Calvary Baptist Church in war, and the principal had went very carefully and given directions to every house. And Southern Baptists left and pick up trucks and vans and SUVs and Jeeps and just started spreading, giving them out. One of the men from North Carolina came to a home. And when he got the hill to go up to the house, he suddenly realized he could not get up that hill because it had been raining and the hill was too steep, too ruddy, and his pickup truck wouldn't pull it. And so he went back to the church and said, I couldn't deliver mine. And Pastor Travis Hyde at that time said, what do you mean? He told him. He said, just a minute. In a moment, Travis had an old Jeep out there. And he said, take this and go. And the young man said, when I got up to the top of the hill, he said, I came to a single wide. And he said, Brother Barker, I want you to know something. My doghouse in my backyard in North Carolina was a nicer place than that single wide was. He said, I walked up and thumped on the side, and the door opened, and a slender young woman opened it and said, can I help you? And he said, yes, I'm from the church, and the school has said that you and your daughter needed some help, and we got some food for you and your daughter, and we got some Christmas for her, and can we deliver that? And she said, sure. She stepped outside, and he said, we just opened the door and just slid it in to the room where the door opened into. He said, I was really afraid to step inside because it was just all so shaky. He said, a little nine-year-old girl came out, told me her name was Amy. He said, when Amy came out and we gave, gave everything, he said, we started talking to the mother about Jesus. And then he said, I, I asked her, said, if, if I come up here tomorrow in this Jeep, would you and your daughter come go to church with us? And she said, you have to understand she said, I'm a single mom. I work several jobs trying to make ends meet. And I, as you can tell, I can't even feed or properly clothe my daughter. I don't have time for church. But the little girl, you know what little girls do? <laughs> I want to go, I want to go, I want to go. And the mother said to these total strangers, if you want to come get her, she can go. So the next morning, he and his wife drove up in the Jeep, picked up Amy, and brought her to church. Now, they had just told me that story back in the office, and as I came out, Debbie King came out on this side of the sanctuary, and she had all the children from her Sunday school class with her. And as she came out, Travis said, well, there's Amy now, Brother Barker. I'd like for you to meet her. Come here, Amy. And we started toward Amy, and we met almost in the center of the church. Now, I get down on my knees, and I talk to the children. So I got down so we could be eyeball to eyeball, and I stuck out my hand and I said, my name's Bill, what's yours? She said, my name's Amy, what do you do? I said, I'm a missionary. What's a missionary? A missionary is somebody that tells other people about Jesus. And with that, that little girl with the biggest brown eyes you have ever seen, she took a step back and pointed her chest and she said, Jesus loves me. Who is Jesus? Why does he love me? 
That morning in Sunday school, for the first time in her life, she had heard that Jesus loved her. That's why we do what we do. That's why I serve as your missionary, reaching out across the mountains and up and down the delta. Father, may Christ be seen in all that we do. Thank you for the faithfulness of your people to give and to participate in what you are doing. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Bill.